0: In this episode of the Exploring Information Security Podcast, How to Submit a Presentation to a Conference, Part 2. Welcome to the Exploring Information Security Podcast, where you will learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring how to submit a presentation to a conference. Uh, This is our second part, and joining me today to help answer this question is Dr. Jessica Barker co-founder of Redacted Firm. Jess, welcome back.
1: Hi, it's great to be back.
0: Yep. Um, so we've kind of covered, uh, we're, we're walking through how, how to actually submit a presentation to a conference. We've talked about the title and abstract. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to that. Um, so let's now get into the the third aspect, which is the bio. How, how important is the bio?
1: So I... I don't think the bio is as important as the title and the abstract, um, which I don't know if everyone would agree with. But for me, I think I certainly find this, you know, if I'm when I'm on the review board, for example, of the Sound Security Awareness Summit, what I'm interested in is what people are talking about more than sort of who they are or or where they're coming from. Um, of course, you kind of you want to know that they have the real life experience to be talking about it or if they're talking based on their studies that they've, they've said that. Um, but I think that comes across really more from the abstract. So I think a bio, um, you know, it's good to that it represents who you are and what you've done and that it's authentic, that it's not too long. Um, but I would say the title and abstract are more important than the bio for me. Of course, some um, conferences also do kind of blind submissions, so where they'll just look at the title and the abstract, and they're much more concerned um, with content, whereas for others, they might be looking for people who are known speakers, um, which is something I think to bear in mind is the more that you speak, the more that you get out there, the more you can get a name as a speaker, and then you might find that conferences are approaching you, um, and even some of the more professional commercial conferences where they actually pay people, um, either their expenses or pay them a fee. Um, you might get to that point after you've done a lot of speaking and been known for being particularly good at it.
0: Yeah. I, I would also say, at least in my experience, the bio is also probably the hardest part to write.
1: Yeah, it's an awkward thing, isn't it? I think writing a bio. Um, so it can be a great idea to ask someone else to write the bio, um, for you (laughs) because then they might, you know, we can, sometimes I think people are really awkward about saying what they're good at and what they've done and kind of remembering even what they've done. Um, so yeah, it can be nice to have someone else write your bio for you and then you can look at it and be like, "Oh, okay, maybe I maybe I am alright. <laughs> maybe this should be my bio."
0: Yeah, about my 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 draw just dropped. Um both because you said someone ha- should could write your other bio. And that's, I think, largely because I hadn't even thought about that before. Like, I'm always struggling to write it. I've actually started just playing around with my bio. Um, I used to copy and paste. Like, I used to write one and then just copy and paste for everyone. But now I'm kind of, like, mixing it up. I'm just trying different things with it, experimenting. I am next time going to have someone do it for me because I think that's such yeah. a great idea. And I think It's really I have- nice. I have some friends that private want to get back at me cuz I pick at them so I'm I'm definitely going to throw it to them cuz I'd love to see what they write <laughs> um, and I think that'd be great
1: yeah. Just make sure it comes back to you. Like you don't want to write <laughs> it and submit it on your right, behalf. Yeah, yeah. That
0: could yeah, be dangerous. Absolutely. Um,
1: but I was, I was doing a panel or I, me and a couple of friends submitted a panel idea to a conference a couple of years ago. And, um, we were sending ideas back and forth around the panel. And then, uh, one person in the group took responsibility for writing kind of everybody's bio, just a couple of sentences on everyone. And, um, And he added something like just nice and funny about me that I probably wouldn't have added myself. And I was like, okay, it's actually quite nice when someone else does this for you. It brings a different perspective.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's such a great idea. I'm going to do that. I can't, I actually can't wait to do that. (laughs) Um, Although I think I may have submitted to everything this year, but yeah, we'll see. Um, Next year. Yeah, next year. Absolutely. Next year. Um, So we've, uh, you touched on it. What are some of the different types of CFP reviews that people might expect to see?
1: So, for some, um, you will submit uh, your idea, your abstract, your title, and it will go to a review board. So that'll be a board of people um, who will, between them, look at the submissions, and they may have a system for how they kind of um, grade them or you know decide which they want to accept and which they don't at that point. Um, but they'll all kind of work on it as a team and by committee decide uh, which should go through and which shouldn't. Um, For other um, CFPs, then it may be a community vote. So besides London generally do this, where people submit their talk title and their abstract and then it all goes um, into an online form and everyone kind of from the community I think everyone who has a ticket um, can look at those and, and vote for which they want to see which is really nice um, and then for others it's a blind submission so you'll put in your title and abstract um, and it will just be those that are judged, so they won't know who is behind each title and abstract. There won't be bios attached to them, it will be judged purely on the content that you are suggesting.
0: And I, and I largely ask that question because I, I think it's important for people to understand that there are different submissions, so what gets you accepted at one place doesn't necessarily get accepted at, a, another, uh, at another conference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, all conferences differ and um, the audiences differ what they're looking for. And I think it's really important. It's easy to say, but it's really important not to take it personally if your submission doesn't get accepted. You know, that will have happened to everyone. That certainly happened to me. It will have happened to everyone who submits to conferences. It's just part and parcel of it. And it's not that you're idea was necessarily terrible, or that you're never going to be accepted anywhere else. It's just that generally conferences have a lot of submissions, and people have to make tough decisions. Um, And it may be that, you know, there was a bunch of people submitting with a similar idea. It may be just that your idea wasn't right for that audience, that particular conference, Um, but it, it shouldn't put you off, you know, submitting elsewhere.
0: Yeah, no, I've I've gotten my share of rejection letters, and at, at at one point, I live in Tennessee. I wasn't getting accepted to Tennessee conferences, <laughs> which which was a little weird. Uh, I have spoken at a couple conferences in Tennessee, but like my success rate in Tennessee is is not as good <laughs> as, as, as other places. So I think it's it's and some of uh one of the conferences here does do a blind CFP, so and they get you know it's like a fifteen percent acceptance rate as far as you know the slots that are available versus how many people are accepting they have like 15 slots and they get like 50 60 submissions every year so wow.
1: yeah it's tough and as someone who has as well as submitted and spoken at conferences as someone who's reviewed submissions it's really tough when mm-hmm. you're reviewing them because you don't have that much to go on but you have a lot of different submissions and trying to make that decision isn't easy um and certainly there's stuff that you probably can't accept one year, but you might the next. So I would say certainly to people, kind of keep going. And also if you can, if you have a submission that that doesn't get accepted, then trying to ask the organisers. Um, of course, not all... Um, conferences can provide the feedback, but you can always ask and say, is there any particular feedback um, on why this wasn't accepted on what I could maybe do differently? Um, then that can be really helpful um, as you, you know, are then able to take that feedback and maybe um, reshape your submission or know that it just needs a different audience.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So so what else should you do if, you, if your talk doesn't get accepted? You just mentioned, you know, try to get feedback from the organizers, but what are some of the other things you can do?
1: I guess, um, no, again, it's kind of knowing the audience. So, um, is thinking about, well, was this the right talk for that conference? You know, looking at the type of people who go to that conference, looking at the agenda when it comes out to see okay, what was accepted? Um, and would my talk have fitted in there or, you know, can I see why they maybe didn't accept it? And I guess looking around for other events, um, Particularly if you feel like maybe it wasn't the right conference or you've had some feedback that a different audience um, may respond to it differently, then having a look around and seeing where it might be accepted um, and also trying the kind of the local meetups or even just, you know, maybe trying to present it internally in your organization or um, with, with friends, and colleagues that might be interested in it. Um, and then you can kind of refine the talk and see if it can go in a different direction or how an audience responds to it. And if there's something you could maybe do differently.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, do you, do you usually pick like one topic a year or do you like, how do you go about topics? Will you submit three or four a year or is it just like one a year? yeah
1: how do I? It's a good question. i um now I do a lot of conference speaking, and I do a mix of some conference speaking that is more commercial and um it might be for you know yeah, kind of a conference for a particular organization or particular industry where they're kind of looking for a keynote speaker. and they'll pay me to go and they want me to talk about a certain thing. Um, and then I do community stuff as well, which is like the more, you know, speaking at B-Sides or SteelCon or whatever it might be. And that's more um, where I will talk about kind of my research. And usually it will be um, a few different things a year and it will be whatever I have found interesting, either coming up through my work or, or something that I feel is kind of topical um, that I would like to address. So a couple of years ago, I did a talk at B-Sides London about the word cyber. Um, And it was because I'd just for so long been kind of seeing people say how much they hate the word cyber. And then, you know, in the industry, it kind of getting this slating. But then when I go into my clients, that's the word that they use. That's how you get attention from the board is by talking about cybersecurity as opposed to information security. Um, so I was kind of noticing this conflict coming up between us in the industry and people outside. And I thought this would maybe be an interesting thing to talk about. Um, so I did a bit of research, did a survey with the general public, um, did again a Twitter poll with people working in, um, in security and then thought, okay, I'll put a submission in and see if B size London would be interested in me talking about the research and talking about my impressions. So I kind of just um go with what I find interesting, what I think might be topical, um, and what maybe where I feel like I have a sort of a different perspective or a perspective that through working on the more human stuff comes out to me maybe more than it does um to the kind of the hacker audience that I might be speaking to.
0: Yeah, so so that's very interesting. And and um, you know, I, I do one a year. Um and and previously I thought that I do want a year, retire it like it was done, it was gone. Yep. That, that was it. Um, but then I talked to a, a speaker, you know, someone like you who had, who is, you know, doing keynotes and speaking out pretty regularly. He's like, no, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, if I go to a particular conference, I can pull that out of my toolbox. Is, is that something that you're doing, or is it all like brand new?
1: Yeah, no, that's something I'm doing. I kind of have a set of talks, um, and exactly as they have said, I'll kind of feel like it's a bit of a toolbox where. Um, a conference will approach me and say, okay, we want you to speak and this is our audience and this is what we want them to take away. And what kind of of thing do you think would be good? Um, So I have a couple of talks that are particularly good to people who aren't in security at all um, to kind of introduce them to cybersecurity and to in particular kind of the human side. Um, And then I have a bunch of different talks that are more aimed at a security audience. And some of them are, kind of a general human take on security. Some are more specific, like how you do awareness raising and communication. Um, And then some are on the more kind of personal end of things, which is like the imposter syndrome or stuff kind of around language, for example, the the cyber one. Um, And then sometimes it's like a ask to do a talk and feel like you want to do something different. Um, So my partner and I were asked to do the opening keynote for B-Sides Leads. It was the inaugural year of B-Sides Leads. So it was the first one. Um, And they asked us to do a talk and gave us kind of free reign as to what we could talk about. Um, So we did a talk. Um, that was about kind of FUD and particular fear and kind of saying, this is why we need to try and leave fear behind. Mm -hmm. Um, And we did that from a professional and a personal angle. So we talked about fear, how it's used in security, but also how it's used personally. So sometimes it's kind of just like, fancy talking about this and I'm going to work on it and deliver this. And other times it's like, okay, I've got this refined talk that has worked before and I'm going to give it to this audience and maybe just tailor it a bit in a certain way.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And I think that that gets into a little bit more as, as people get on the speaking path, but I I think that's important too, for, for people just getting into it. Is that that could be something that happens down the road, um, which would be great. Yeah. So what, what are your recommendations for someone who does get their talk accepted? Like what are their next steps?
1: So I think it's, um, understanding that writing the talk maybe takes a little bit longer than you would expect (laughs) if you haven't done it already. Mm -hmm. Um, and if it's your first time, um, then try not to kind of procrastinate on getting started too much. Um, just kind of get in there and flesh out how you're going to talk about it. What are your key points? Um, and then building your slides around it. For me, a key thing is to think about the slides, think about the audience, and try to have as little text as possible on the slides, preferably no text, um, Mm -hmm. and try to use images as much as you can. Um, And then, People differ as to um, whether they like to rehearse, how much they like to rehearse, in what style they rehearse. I used to rehearse quite a lot. I used to write out almost word for word what I wanted to say in the talk and then kind of drill it down to bullet points that I then... um, would have with me on stage on like index cards. Um, And I would try not to like have them in my hand or whatever, but I'd kind of have them to one side if I felt like I needed them as a bit of a safety blanket, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas now I kind of know the point that I want to make on each slide. I know how I'm going to get from one slide to the next. and, um, And that's kind of what I go in with. And then I just pretty much see the talk as a conversation with the people in the room. I try not to think of it as this really formal thing where I have to be on point with, you know, exactly saying every word that I thought I wanted to say in preparation. Um, But I think that comes more with time. I think for your first talk, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you maybe do want to rehearse. You do want to think about the time slot that you've got and whether you can fit that. Um, and, And, yeah, and kind of feel comfortable with your content.
0: So so how do you practice is is this something that you like stand up and and speak out loud or like what's your approach to that?
1: I used to I used to stand up and speak out loud and kind of um do that on my own. Um before I would then kind of ask to run through it you know with someone else like a friend or something um but now I don't do it like that now I um as I say I kind of know the point I want to make on each slide and so I'll kind of run through in my head and I will sort of flick through the slides and it'll be like okay on this one I'm saying that on this one I'm saying that on this one I'm making that point and this is how I'm getting from each one um so I think it varies and I think it's like we said earlier or in the in the last episode, um, it's something that you probably refine with time. For some people, they may find that they absolutely have to rehearse and they have to know specifically, you know, at what time they're going to be on which slide, which I think is how Troy Hunt does it. Mm-hmm. Um, for other people, it's, as it's worked out for me, it doesn't help me to rehearse in that finer detail. Um, I just have to know what point I'm going to make on each slide.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 and and that's the thing that I've seen with speakers, just just being a, a regular attendee to conferences is is um, some people, it, and it drives me nuts because I hear them, they're like, oh, I have to go upstairs and work on my slides. And it's is, you know, the night before they're talking in the morning. <laughs> and then, you know, they, they go down there and they just kill it. And I'm like, I, I hate you because I cannot <laughs> do that. Like, I'm someone that I feel like I have to practice. And, and I'm still very early too. You know, I've only been doing it in a couple of years. So. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's like when, um, when people can put it together, I'm always amazed at that. Cause I'm, I'm absolutely not that type of person.
1: Yeah. I can't do it that last minute, but I will usually be, well, not always, but I will often be sort of finessing my slides up until maybe the night before, right. um, because it'll just be going around my head and I'll be sort of thinking, oh, actually that <laughs> slide, that slide that it's at, like the number 20 will be better at like number 18 and, um, and sometimes it, it's the night before that I'll be like, finally, okay, I've got the flow of this. Right. This is how it's going to go. Um, but yeah, I certainly, I know someone who recently was working on their slides up until like about an hour before they actually got up on stage mm-hmm. and then got up on stage and they were brilliant. Right. Um, but that would just be too nerve wracking for me.
0: Right. So so one of the things I like about your approach and I think really uh, helps with, you know, it allows you to, um, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here. But allows you to have uh you know just kind of run through it with your with your mind is that uh, you you have a conversation with the crowd which is actually something that i'm trying to start doing myself this is something that i'm learning that i feel more comfortable with
1: yeah that for me has helped me feel much more confident um because when i have a conversation with someone I I don't feel this pressure for it to be perfect. You know, I don't feel Mm -hmm. like I have to um, have everything that I'm going to say planned. Um, And so it, for me, that took the sort of formality out of trying to present. And I realized that actually I can just get up there and whether it's speaking to one person or a hundred or a thousand people are people, you know, and normally people that are in the room, they don't want to see you fail. And I think this is something mm-hmm. when you first start out speaking, you can feel a bit like the people in the room, maybe not consciously, but they, you know, they're the enemy they, they they want me to mess up. They're going to laugh at me if I right, mess up. Right. Um, whereas actually that's not how it is at all. Um, people in the room, you know, vast majority of them, at least they want to see it and listen to something that is enjoyable or interesting. They want you to do well. Um, and they'll they're gonna be forgiving. So if you mess up, if you forget what you're saying on a slide, which I have done once, um, if you <laughs> if you say the wrong thing, you know, they're not gonna um, all suddenly just like table flip and leave the room. Um what they want is someone who is in control and, and confident and and gives them something interesting. Um and the best way for me to feel in control and confident um Is if I feel like it is just a conversation, Um, so that's how I've started to approach it. But it took me a good few years to kind of get comfortable with with feeling like that.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, that's and that's great advice. And I I know we've kind of got gotten a little bit out of scope here with with this particular (laughs) podcast. But I think that's all all great stuff and important, especially if you're once you get accepted. Um, So, what other resources are available for learning more about submitting a presentation to a conference?
1: So one thing I would say is look at the conferences you want to submit to because on their websites, you know, they'll often have stuff about how to submit um, and they may have some information about what works and what doesn't. So I think 44Con in London, they do that. They have quite a lot of info kind of saying this is why we accept the talks we do and this is to help you. Um, So looking at the particular conference can be helpful. Of course, I've got to plug the Digital Guardian article that I wrote um, on kind of what's called the inside track on Call for Papers, um, which... Where I wanted to kind of pull together different conference organizers' um, advice on how to get a submission accepted. So a lot of the big conferences around the world, um, somebody from the organizing team gave me their top tips. So I think that's a nice um resource. And um and also often the the review boards or the organizers will say, you know, if you want some help with your submission before we go to the call for papers date? then um then get in touch and so don't be shy about putting your hand up and asking people who organize conferences or speak at conferences you know would they mind taking a look at what you're thinking of talking about
0: yeah no absolutely that's that's something that i was awkward about because i knew some of the i know several organizers and 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 they were more than willing to even though they're going to be reviewing my paper they were more than willing to give me advice on stuff so um, I sure. That is-
1: they, yeah, they want you to succeed as well, don't they? They, right. they want good abstracts and good talks.
0: Right. Absolutely. So is there anything else you'd like to mention that we haven't already discussed?
1: Um, I would say just one of the key things is, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I know a lot of people who don't submit because they think, oh, it won't get accepted. It's not good enough. Or, um, you know, I, I'm not the right person to speak about this. Um, so there's a danger of kind of standing in your own way when it comes to submitting. So I would say, um, don't stand in your own way. Let the organizers decide if your talk is right for their conferences. Um, you know, have a bit of confidence and see where it takes you.
0: Yeah. And that's great. Great advice. I've been nodding my head almost this entire podcast. So so thank you for that. (laughs) Um, What would you like to plug?
1: Um, So if people want to find me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at Dr. Jessica Barker. Um, You can find my blog site at cyber.uk and my company um, website is redactedfirm.com.
0: And then you, it looks like you have a couple extra Twitter Twitter follows here.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. It gets complicated. Um, but I also <laughs> run the, um, the cyber.uk uh, Twitter handle and at Redacted Firm. Um, that's our Twitter handle as well for the company. And, of course, the Digital Guardian uh, call uh, for papers inside track um, article.
0: All right. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me to discuss how to submit a talk to a, to a conference.
1: It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Awesome. All right. Uh, and that's it. Feedback is welcome at timothy.dblock.gmail.com or on Twitter at timothydblock. Show notes can be found at timothydblock.com forward slash EIS. Have a good one.